You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. So every time you turn on the news, it's one of these headlines about what's happening in Israel. Everywhere you go, people are talking about it. Everywhere I go, people ask me about it. And I guess the question that I get often that I have no answer for is, is this like the beginning of the end? And I have no more clue than you do. So don't ask me that anymore. <laughs> I don't know, but it's a, it's a tragic thing. And then you, you read about all this and then you put everything into perspective. And you think, we're talking about a tiny little country here. These are the Muslim nations in the Middle East and Northern Africa that surround Israel. There are 17 or so, not counting Iran, of course, which is not Muslim, but also an enemy of Israel. You can see all the green there. Those are all uh, the Muslim nations. And then if you just look in the center here, right, right here, this little blue space, I'm gonna highlight it there. That's Israel. And that's the size of Israel in this uh, whole world map here that you're seeing. It's tiny, and if you wanna try to picture it in your mind, people often say, well, Israel's about the size of New Jersey, and that's, that's a pretty good uh, way to describe it, but most of us probably don't know much about New Jersey living here in the Midwest, so I usually tell people this. If you take the map of Indiana, many of us live here, and so we know this map, if you take the map of Indiana and if you cut it into four equal parts, and then you take one of those parts, I'll take the top part because if many of you have driven across US 30. So this dotted line here is right about US 30. So we'll just take US 30 to the Michigan line and we'll just cut that piece off and we're gonna slide it over here. And that's the exact size of Israel. That's how big Israel's, one fourth of Indiana. And you think about it, you know, New Jersey, hardly ever in the news. Our president's from there, but we don't hear anything about New Jersey. Indiana, we're all the, from here. Well, Indiana's not in the news. But even when there's not a war, Israel is in the news all the time. What is it about this tiny little nation that creates such, such an interest? By the way, you probably know that up until this war began, there was another war that was dominating our news, Right? Russia, Ukraine, we haven't heard a thing about that since. You have to go looking for that. Do you realize that Ukraine is 27 times larger than Israel? Has four times the number of people, and yet this tiny little country has now dominated the news. Why? I don't know. But I'll give you two thoughts. One reason I believe is because there are a billion Christians in this, on this planet and we have a very big interest in Israel because it's our heritage, Judaism, so forth, is where we were birthed from, and also because of prophecy. A lot of people are you know, following prophecy and wanna know kind of about the end times, and so as soon as something happens in Israel, we have a real interest in it. And secondly, and on the opposite side of that coin would be anti-Semitism. And around the world, you're seeing it right now in very, very strong ways because of the war. But you see it throughout history. There's this hatred of Jewish people. 
Why? I, I don't know. I think there are 10 or more good answers to that, but I'll just boil them all down into one thought, and that is, I believe it's spiritual dark forces who are kind of pervasive in all of this, and I think that's what's causing it. There's a hatred of the Jews from Satan's perspective, and of course, that will pervade many people's thinking. Now, I share that with you to tell you that today we are in the midst of a study of the Jewish people in Romans. We're studying Romans 9 to 11, and we call this deep mercy because we look at the mercy of God. Today, we're going to see Israel as a tree, an olive tree actually, that God planted and established, and then he took us as Gentiles and added us to that olive tree. That's all found in this passage, Romans 11, 11 to 24. I've told you, I've never preached through Romans in my whole ministry here. However, I teach a lot of this section every year when I take people to Israel. We get to the garden tomb, usually on one of the last days, and this is a passage that I teach because I think it's so important to understand that if you're a believer, you are now a part of Israel, and we're going to learn how. Take your Bibles and join me. Romans chapter 11, verses 11 to 24 is where we're at. Two things we've learned in this series and our learning in this series. Number one, our God is extremely merciful. People you work with, go to school with, don't seem that way. They, they're waiting to be struck by lightning as soon as they step out of line. That's how people picture God. But Paul is telling us in this section, you really have to understand that even beyond his justice, which his justice is perfect justice, he has this incredibly deep mercy for all people, Jews and non-Jews. Secondly, the salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles is very intricately interwoven. And you're gonna see again that today, you're gonna see how connected we are as Jews and Gentiles. So let's review quickly. I'm gonna take you all the way back to some weeks ago when we finished the previous series. And in Romans chapter eight, we learned that when you know God, it comes with all these riches, but that one of the greatest joys is that nothing can separate you from his love. You cannot be separated from God's love. And then you turn to Romans chapter nine and the very first version following, you realize that the Jews are separated, but not because God has separated them and not because they've separated themselves, but because they never got into God's love. They just never joined. He even says, if I could give up my own salvation, which is not possible, but if he could, for his own people, he might do so. And we learned a new word instead of like the chosen people of the Old Testament, Paul uses this term, children of the promise. And what does that mean? It means Jews or Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ are called children of the promise. Chapter 10, we were reminded that salvation by faith alone has always been God's plan. There are people, a lot of Christians, who think that the Old Testament is law, the New Testament is grace or faith. No, the Old Testament is grace and faith, the New Testament is grace and faith. We just misunderstand it sometimes in the Old Testament. In Romans chapter 11, last week, Pastor Josh taught us that Israel as a nation has rejected Christ. Now, a lot of individual Jews 
have come to faith in Christ, we call them, they call themselves oftentimes Messianic Jews. Messianic means they've accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So those are Messianic Jews. Now there are some Jewish people who have turned to Christ, but as a nation, they've rejected him. We also are reminded that grace is the only way to salvation. You can't do it by works. You can't do it by any other means except by faith in Jesus Christ, and that is grace. Today, we come to Romans 11, 11, very special passage to me as we look through 11 to 24. But let me take you back to our last verse last week. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Talking about the Jewish people, forever. And you might say, and I might say, oh, God's done with the Jews. He's kind of washed his hands of those Jewish people. Is that what happened? And Paul, always knowing, it seems, what we're going to ask next, says, again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Now, let me unpack just that one sentence or a sentence and a half there for you. Having just quoted an Old Testament passage about stumbling, I'm going to take you back to it. It was just two verses previously. A stumbling block and a retribution for them. That's quoted right out of Psalm 69. So a stumbling block for the Jews. Have they stumbled to the point that they have been dropped by God? No, no. You all know that you can stumble and kind of catch yourself and you can stumble and crash. Well, Paul is talking about a stumbling here that is not a total fall. Did they stumble as to fall beyond recovery? Let me share with you this stumbling and how some people perceive it. I think there are two radical views, dangerous views, that some people take when it comes to Jewish people. Number one is that Israel has been replaced by the church. Now, those of you who are into theology and the technical stuff and all that, that's called supersessionism. You don't have to remember that, just, just to make you aware that there's actually a term for it. There are many people, there are, are some uh, denominations as a whole who believe that the church is now the new Israel. And I think that's very dangerous because in fact, the Bible teaches, in my opinion, very differently. Secondly, there are people who believe that all Jewish people are saved, no matter how they live, no matter what they believe, no matter whatever they do, because they were born to a Jewish mom and they have Jewish blood in their veins, so therefore, they're, when they die, they're going to heaven. Many years ago, I was uh, pastoring in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, I went to the, every month they had a thing called the ministerium. And the pastors would meet together for breakfast and talk about what's happening across, you know, Christianity. And, and, and every denomination and every kind of religious group would attend to this particular breakfast. On one morning, I was there and the president of the ministerium walked up to me and he said, uh, would you lead in prayer this morning before we eat? And I said, I'd be happy to. And uh, he said, just, just one thing. He said, I, I don't want you to mention Jesus because the rabbi's here. And I said, well, maybe the rabbi, it'd be good for him to hear about Jesus. 
And uh, he said, no, and I'm going to quote him as close as I can. He said, all Jewish people are already saved. And I said, how is that? And he goes, because they're Jews, they're the chosen people, and therefore they're already saved. So he doesn't need to hear about Jesus. He's already gone to heaven. I mean, he's already in. And I said, well, if I pray, I'll probably mention Jesus because I always pray in his name. And the man said to me, then I'll find someone else to pray. And he did. You see, that's how strong it is for some. That either Israel is of no account because they've been replaced by the church or Israel doesn't even need to be witnessed to because they're already saved. Both those extremes are dangerous. The stumbling of Israel is not permanent, is what Paul is saying. Have they fallen beyond recovery? And this is that phrase that we've seen multiple times already in our study of Romans. It's a, it's a two words in Greek. It's meginital. It means no, 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 or absolutely not, or no way, or however you might want to say it. It's the strongest negative you can use. Not at all. They have not fallen. So we'll continue with verse 11. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Those last two thoughts are illustrations I'll explain in just a moment. Now, because Israel has stumbled and not fallen completely, but because they stumbled, several benefits have kind of brought to the surface. Number one, particularly to us, most of us here, salvation has come to Gentiles. Because Jews stumbled over Christ the Messiah, the Gentiles were immediately brought into the kingdom. Now, I don't want you to think like, oh, so God offered it to them first. They said no, so he gave us a chance. No, that wasn't the plan. We were always the plan to come into the kingdom. That, you take that all the way back to Abraham. Gentiles were always included, but we were included through Israel. See, the plan was that Israel would receive their Messiah and then they would tell us about him, but instead they rejected. And so God, partly through Paul, moved to the Gentile people and we got to have that opportunity. We got to take him. Secondly, the Gentiles' faith would make Israel envious. Rather, because of their transgression, salvations come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Paul says, I'm just hoping that the Jewish people will look around and see you Gentiles, you know, worshiping and praising the Lord and having this grace and peace in your life. And they'll say, man, I'd like to have that. By the way, that has happened. Many Messianic Jews have said that it's watching Gentile people in their worship and in their faith that's caused them to turn to Christ. Thirdly, that that envy would then cause them as a nation to go, we missed him. Now we realize it. 
and they would turn back to Jesus Christ. That's Paul's hope. Paul reminds us that he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Why? Because all the way through chapters 1 to 8, he's talking to all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, but he gets to chapter 9, and he seems to be talking to just the Jews. And maybe the Gentiles in Rome were reading this letter, and they're going, oh, so we're forgotten already. He just kind of, you know, left us out. No, Paul says, I'm talking to you Gentiles. I'm including you too. I'm allowing you to listen in, he says, basically. And as much as I'm the apostle of the Gentiles, I'm proud of that, actually. I love that. But it would be silly for me not to think about my own people. If Israel would turn back to their Messiah, he says, it would be another resurrection. What's he referring to? Well, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. As you know, we celebrate that particularly on Easter Sunday, but we celebrate it throughout the year that Jesus rose from the dead. But Paul is saying, you know, if Israel would turn back, it'd be like another one. Look at this. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? It would be another resurrection. We could celebrate. Then he uses two illustrations, the dough and the root. And these are illustrations that Jewish people would understand readily. We don't as much. You see, when someone would make some bread in Israel, back in the time of Christ or Paul or all the way back to times of Moses and Joshua or whomever, if they'd make some bread, they would take one-tenth of that bread. So let's just say they make 10 loaves, 10 small loaves. They would take one loaf and they'd take it to the priest at the temple. And that's how the priest would eat. He would be given a portion. But they would keep nine loaves and the nine loaves were just as set apart just as holy as the one loaf. Or, he says, if the root is holy. The word holy here means to be set apart. So back when Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph were to establish Israel, Moses and Joshua came along. All the judges, the deliverers, so forth. You see, if they were all set apart, so is the rest of the tree. So he uses the dough. And the root as a reminder of holiness. Now, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand in faith or by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Now, he just finished that analogy, right? Of the roots and the tree. And he says, I'll continue that thought. So there's this olive tree that God has established and Gentiles, you get to be a part of it. So the analogy of the tree comes from the Old Testament. It comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It comes from Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 16, and other places as well. This idea that Israel is an olive tree. Now, this first verse here, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will take or will bear fruit. I don't expect you to remember everything I preach. But about 15 years ago, I preached a Christmas series to you entitled, The Root, the Shoot, and the Fruit. 
And in the root, the shoot, the fruit, we learned about this tree. So let me explain. Israel is the root. Sometimes in scripture called the stump. Today, we wouldn't use the term stump as much as maybe we'd say the trunk of the tree. So Israel is the root or the trunk. Jesus, the Messiah, is the shoot. There are lots of shoots, but he is the shoot. And he is the branch. And by the way, most of you know that when we bought the synagogue next door some years ago, we renamed it the branch. Why? Because it was kind of a tip of our cap to the Old Testament to the Jewish people who worship there, but also a reminder that Jesus is the Messiah, the branch. And so that's why we named it the branch. Now, thirdly, there's another whole bunch of branches, and that's every individual person who trusts Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian today, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you are a branch in God's tree. Those who are not Jewish by birth, but have chosen to follow Christ are wild olive shoots. What's it mean, wild? You're not Jewish. You were not born as a branch in the tree. You kind of were grafted in. We'll talk about that in a moment. And since you're a wild olive shoot, be cautious, says Paul. A couple things you should note. You're not the root. Don't ever think you're the one that started this. Like some people who say, well, the church is now Israel. No, no, no. No, the root goes all the way back to Abraham. Secondly, unbelief caused the natural branches to be broken off. Now, we're not talking about individual people here. We're talking about the natural branches of the Jews, the Jews as a nation, caused cause them to be broken off. And then, please don't be proud, says Paul. Be vigilant. Don't say, ha, ha, the Jews got cut out so we could be grafted in. Oh, no, no, that's not the attitude you take, says Paul. Keep in mind that if you, as a people group, the Gentiles, if, if you don't trust in Christ, he'll cut you off as well. He's cut his own people off. Now, my favorite part. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, Gentiles, and contrary to nature, very important, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. Now, if that's a bit confusing to you, let me just kind of unpack it because I think it's, it makes a lot of sense when you just take your time and work your way through it. God is very merciful. He uses the word kindness three times in these few verses. God is a kind God. He allows us as Gentiles to be part of his tree, but a lack of faith will cut us off too. So be careful, says, says Paul to all the Gentiles. If Israel turns back to their Messiah, they will be grafted back into their tree. So the branches are laying on the ground. They're not totally dead yet. So at any time, God could pick them back up and graft them back into their tree. And the key to God's kindness is that phrase I emphasize to you, contrary to nature. What's that mean? You're a wild olive tree. Israel is the natural olive tree. 
when I lived at our previous home 20 years ago, in our backyard, we had two wild apple trees. They were there when we moved in, already there. They were pretty trees, so we left them there. They were lousy when it comes to fruit. You all know that about wild olive tree or wild apple trees or anything else like that. I mean, we would, every year the apples would fall off the tree and my son and I would gather them up in baskets. We'd take them out into the woods and we'd throw them at trees to watch them explode because they, you couldn't eat them. They were too sour. They were hard. They were small. They were lousy in fruit. But I'll tell you about these trees. These trees you couldn't kill. You see, they had been volunteer trees. Nobody, nobody planted them. They just grew on their own. And the thing about growing on their own is they made it. No animal chewed them off. Uh, no disease killed them. No drought killed them. Uh, one year we had a landscaper come in and do some work. And with one of his big tractors, he ran over one of the apple trees. I, he apologized. I said, no problem at all. I kind of propped it back up and tied it in a couple places. And in a year, it was fine again. I mean, you just can't kill the things. But they have lousy fruit. Now think about this from an olive perspective. You're a Jewish man and you go out into your field there in Israel and there in the back of your field, you find a wild olive tree. What's the joy of that? Well, the joy of that is that thing is not killable. That thing will stand forever. But it also produces lousy fruit. So a good farmer will do this. He'll go out and he'll hack off that olive tree about this high up and leave a part of the trunk or the stump. And then he'll go to an orchard or to an, a natural olive tree, a domesticated one. And he'll cut off little pieces, little branches. It looks like this. And, and he will cut little slits in that stump and he'll stick those little slits, uh, little branches down into those slits and he'll tighten them and water them. And pretty soon you've got a wild olive tree that you can't kill. And you've got natural branches that produce beautiful olives. It is like a match made in heaven. I'm going to go back. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, you're a branch, right? You're producing lousy fruit. And contrary to nature, what's that mean? No person in the world would ever do this. Only God. Contrary to nature, we're grafted into a cultivated olive tree. In other words, do you realize God's doing the opposite? He's taking wild branches and grafting them into his cultivated, domesticated tree. No one, no farmer would ever do that. That's the worst possible thing you can do. But that's how much he loves us. He says, I love you so much that even though no one else would do this, this is against nature, contrary to nature, I still am going to graft you into my tree. That's how much he loves us. So we are the grafted in. We're the wild shoots that have been grafted in. Back 2,000 years ago, or nearly that, there was some early churches in Israel. Some of them have just more recently been found in archaeology. And some of them in archaeology have been found with symbol in them. 
At first, the symbol was unknown, and then they realized what this symbol was. I have it in your notes. I'll put it on the screen. It was a symbol of Israel as a faith people. That's the menorah. That sits in the temple. That's Israel as a worshiping people. And then you have the Star of David. That's Israel as a nation. And then grafted into that, you have the fish, the ichthus, the first symbol of Christianity. And so early Christians were saying, even as Gentiles, we have been grafted into Israel. As many of you know, I have worn that very symbol around my neck for uh, 25 years, probably. Don't ever take it off because every time I see it, even in the mirror, I think, oh, that's right. I'm, I'm part of Israel. I think I told you one time I was driving through Wendy's at a Christmas season not long ago and a woman handed me my food and said, happy Hanukkah. <laughs> happy Hanukkah to you. I had no idea why she said that to me. And then I realized, oh, my necklace is sticking out. She realizes that that Star of David, that's about Jewish people. She doesn't know the whole symbol. That is a Christian I'm now grafted in. That's this passage of scripture. Someday, says Paul, the branches of Israel, the natural branches, Jewish people, will easily be grafted into their own tree. How much more readily? It's difficult to, to, to graft any branches in, but wild branches, that's harder. It's much easier to graft their, your, the natural branches back, back in. So, what have we learned today? I, I think if I could boil it down to two thoughts, this is what I'd boil it down to. Number one, God has shown us deep mercy by grafting us into his tree, and that was contrary to nature. Nobody else would do that, only God. And one takeaway for you is that's how much he loves you. He's willing to pay the cost as an olive tree owner to even graft in the wild branches. Secondly, we've learned that someday God will easily restore his own branches, his own Jewish people back into their tree. 